Hello and welcome to What Have I Done with me, Caroline Jones. In each episode, I'll be joined by a guest to discover how the spark of an idea set them on their fundraising journey. They'll explain why they chose their particular charity and share the highs and lows that invariably come with the intensity of fundraising. At the centre of each conversation is an emotional story of how inner grit and determination can lead to a lasting legacy for the fundraiser and for the charity. Terence Canning wears two hats, both of equal importance. Having lost his brother Mark to sepsis, Terence set about running marathons, long-distance cycling challenges, plus a plethora of local fundraising initiatives to raise thousands of pounds for UK Sepsis Trust. Alongside his continuing fundraising, Terence now works for UK Sepsis Trust, bringing his vast fundraising experience and insight to the charity. It was a fascinating conversation and I'm very grateful to Terence. And I'm reminded that charities who welcome in other voices, like those of Terence, are far richer as a consequence. All the details of Terence's fundraising and the link to UK Sepsis Trust can be found in the show notes. Finally, thank you for listening. So Terence Canning, thank you very much for joining me on What Have I Done? It's lovely to meet you, to see you down the line. Loving the sports cap. We'll come on to the the, the reason for that cap, I'm sure, um, as we get through the podcast. But I really wanted to say thank you so much for your time today, Terence. I know you're a very, very busy person. Um, you're literally wearing two hats. You are an amazing. <laughs> you are. Yeah. Do you like the plug there? You are not only a fantastic fundraiser for UK Sepsis Trust, but you're also employed by them. You work for them. You fundraise for them. So you wear two hats, which I think is fascinating. And I'm really hoping in this episode that we explore a a little bit more about that, you know, the, the, the benefits of actually working for the charity and how that happened. I just thought we could start perhaps with, you telling me and the listener exactly what sepsis is and then we'll come on to talk about your connection with the charity sure so um in short sepsis is your body's overreaction to an infection um rather than your body doing what it's meant to do uh it goes into kind of a haywire state and attacks itself causing a a, a huge inflammatory response um you can't catch sepsis you have to have an infection. It's purely a reaction to an infection. So um, common ones are you know, pneumonia, chest infections, immune tract infections are very common. But you can get it from you know anything, even a cut on the arm. Anything which causes an infection that your body reacts badly to, there's a risk of sepsis. And extreme cases, I mean, if untreated or not diagnosed, that could easily result in multiple organ failure and unfortunately, in some cases, death. <laughs> How widely understood is sepsis, do you think, for the the average person? Uh, it's really hard to measure awareness, um, but I like to think it's a, there's a lot more awareness around it now than um, there were 10 years ago. Um, but in terms of scale of, of the problem and the, uh, the issue, there's about 250,000 instances of sepsis each year in the UK, resulting in about 48,000 
thefts, which again for scale is more than bowel, breast, and prostate cancer combined. So it's it's quite a, it's quite a problem. Um, there's much more awareness of it now. Uh, we need to do a lot more because we often find um, that people who come to us as a charity for support have been affected by something that they unfortunately have heard about for the very first time. Yes, exactly. Well, that leads us, I suppose, into your own connection with the charity and, and your brother, Mark, who sadly died 10 years ago this year. Tell me about Mark and tell me about how he developed sepsis, if you if you're, if you you don't mind. Uh, oh, absolutely. So. Um... Me and Mark, Mark was my big brother, but only by um, 18 months. So um, we were very, very close. More as older people, I guess a 78-year-old. When you're, you know, when you're 18 months younger than your brother, you're a bit of a pain until you're about 16, 17. But after that, we were, we were the very best of friends. We experienced lots of things together. He was the right character, a very charismatic man. Um, but we traveled to Australia together. We lived together in London for a while where Mark was, unfortunately, when he passed away. Um, we're both from Cardiff, and I live in Cardiff now with my family back there. Um, but yeah, he was just, you know, kind of an all-round good guy really and we, we, we realized sort of how popular he was sadly you know as often a case by the reaction to his passing um and his passing was an absolute shock to to all of us because unfortunately for us as i alluded to earlier um we weren't aware of sepsis and the very very first time we saw that word it was on his death certificate, unfortunately um mark had been taken ill in the community he was living in london at the time with what he he thought was a, a stomach bug, you know. When when we when we were kids, had a day off school with with, with a bad belly, it was it was a twenty four hour bug, and if it was two days, it was the forty eight hour bug, and that's how we were brought up. Um, that we waited to get better, and my brother did seek some health community health care. He was told you know to just take care of himself, take some paracetamol, etc. Um, but he deteriorated, and uh, so he, he saw a doctor on the Tuesday, and another one on the Thursday in the community. And he was sent on that day into A and E in Lewisham in southeast London, by which time he had some quite chronic stomach pains, um, and he, he went through triage, etc. And they thought he had a gallbladder gallstone problem, um, but it was obviously something a bit more severe than that. And uh, but people hadn't realised this at the time. So having walked in at midday uh, on the Thursday, unfortunately he went into cardiac arrest at quarter past five the same day. And that's when they realized, um, obviously, that there was there was more wrong with him than they originally thought. And that's when they realized he was probably going septic and had an infection and was in the you know, quite uh, advanced stages of, of organ failure. So he went from the ward into intensive care, um, where he was for three days, uh, where he received the, the best of care and attention. There's no, we have no issue. It's not, not about blame. You know, we had wonderful, wonderful care in the intensive care unit. Um, but unfortunately, he he didn't pull through. So ha- having walked into hospital on the, on the Thursday, unfortunately he was dead by the Saturday lunchtime, um, and leaving you know, behind you a 35-year-old wife and a three-year-old daughter. And we'd never heard of sepsis. We, we, we'd heard of infection, and infection was mentioned to his care, um, but not sepsis. So the, you know, unfortunately for us, um, the very first time we, 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 we heard the word or saw the word sepsis was, was after um, you know, Mark had passed away, sadly. Back then, um, Terence, 10 years ago, who did you turn to for advice about that word sepsis? What was out there? Um, it's funny. Our, our immediate reaction was just 
we thought we were very, very lucky. We were in a million, et cetera. We just wanted to deal with the fallout. We had to, you know, Manuela, his wife, Sophie, his daughter, we needed to take care of them. So it wasn't immediate, something I did immediately. It was look at sepsis. It was a little bit later, um, probably a few months later. But when I did do that, I just did what I guess everybody does do when they don't know something. I just Googled it. I Googled sepsis and it came up then um, as, uh, you know, First of all, there's a couple of academic papers, I guess. It wasn't really a big thing at the time. But about the third third thing I saw on the um, on, on my search was the UK Sepsis Trust. And that's when I went onto their website. So I didn't even know about the trust at the time. I purely Googled the word sepsis. But when the trust came up in, the, in that search, that's when I saw um, you know, this banner headline, you know, this sepsis at that time, it's, I think it said it kills 37,000 people a year. And it was the body's reaction to an infection. I was like, wow, hang on a second. How do I not know this? You know, I'm an educated person. I've traveled a lot. Um, how do I, uh, my one in a million theory was completely blown out of the water because that just wasn't the case. Mark wasn't one in a million. He was one in 37,000 that year. And that got me to think, you know, what, 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 what does this even look like? And on the website, there was a set of symptoms, a very simple acronym, um, sepsis symptoms, uh, slurred speech or confusion, extreme shivering, passing no urine, severe breathlessness. It feels like you're going to die and skim old or discolored. Now, when I reflected on that and discussed it with other people who had shared the experience with me at the time, lots of those things were quite present in Mark at the hospital not all of them at the same time but some some at the start some later on um and uh, you know, most of those things would have been present but i'd never heard of it and so i couldn't do anything about it at that time um so it kind of drove me to think you know what what can be done about this because it seemed to me that people shouldn't die of infections and the other thing i saw on the website was the treatment was antibiotics and fluids which of course I'd heard of. Of course, I knew a readily available, you know. Um, so I felt like he, he uh, without thinking about blame, I felt like he had died of something that possibly with more knowledge could have been preventable, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, completely. Did the charity, were you able to speak to somebody at the charity at that point? Uh, yeah, I, I got in touch with the charity and um, you know, they they were a lot smaller than they are now, thankfully. They've been able to grow over time. Mm-hmm. Um, one, of the important, one of the key important things about fundraising. Um, but yeah, they, 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 I spoke to a, a chap there at the time, Dr. Ron Daniels, who I had a chat with, um, and one of the support staff there who kind of explained to me you know, what had happened in a sort of lay, layman's terms, really. Um, so it, it was really good just to have somebody to talk to about, about this and you know and over time i've realized you know how many more people have been affected by it and uh, at, at that time i thought we were the only people ever and and you know and who do, where, where do we go thank you for sharing that with us and i'm please i extend my sympathies to you and your family particularly 10 years on i think there's something quite difficult about grief having a having a date attached to it and 10 years which we're in now for you how is that how are you feeling about that it's 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 quite an unusual feeling because you know the first year after a, a, a loss for anybody is, is full of anniversaries. And there's the first birthday, the first Christmas, your own birthday, the kid's birthday, this first day of school, all, all of those things. So the first year is really difficult. And then everything kind of gels into one a bit, even though you'd be caught out at times by the most, you know, you know unforeseeable things, a football match or whatever, or a song. You get caught out by those things. But 
annually, it's not doesn't feel like it's such a big thing, although you remember it. But the tenth year feels a bit different to that. It almost and it shouldn't do because it's, why is ten different to nine? And it's hard to explain or to articulate particularly well. But a tenth anniversary just seems a bit a bit more, a bit harder to deal with than, than the ninth, or hopefully the eleventh. It yeah. just I, 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 I don't know why it just feels like a moment. I think with grief. You know the expression um, "time passes" or "time's a good healer." I, I, you know, I, I've, I have grief myself, and I, I sometimes challenge that. I go, actually, no, I don't think I don't think time is a healer. Sometimes, sometimes there's days where you just life's great and you go through and you don't think. But I'm, I'm not necessarily sure. I believe that it's a healer. I think you learn to move with it. I, I absolutely agree. I think because I think I think in th- terms of things getting better. A broken arm gets better, or a cut gets better, you know, and, and they they heal and they heal properly, um, and you get over those. But with, with a loss or with grief, I don't think people are generally looking to get over it, like a cut or a cold or a you know, or a sprain or something. They they want the the, the 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 person to remain with them and be part of their lives. But they just want to carry them lighter, and they want the wound the wound not to be so open, if you like. So mm-hmm. while I believe that time does help, I. I, I I have stopped saying to people, you know, time is a healer or time, you know, because people if people ask me how long or when, I just couldn't tell them. Um, and there's no scientific response to grief. There's no blueprint for grief. It is what it is. It's a very individual experience. So while I would say things will get better in time, I could not place a time frame on it. No, that's such good advice. So now we're at this 10-year anniversary, not only for the passing of Mark, but also the charity, UK Sepsis Trust, is 10 years old. So two really important dates for you, wearing your hat as um, a fundraiser for the charity, but also now employed with the charity. Tell me, if you don't mind, about how on earth you got connected with the charity. How are you? How did you begin to be working for them full time? It's 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 quite a story in a way, and you know, even the um, the way I met my partner, so I'll come on to it a bit, is also a bit of a story. But I'd done a couple of things for charity in the past. I'd run a marathon for a North London charity, Kith uh, and Kids, I think it was in in two thousand nine. So I, I was interested in doing things for charity, but never working for one. I was living uh, in London at the time of my brother's passing as well, even though I'm from Cardiff. Um, and I was working in a bank, you know, was like, but everything sort of changed on, on, on that day. Um, you know, I changed, my family's lives changed. So I ultimately ended up leaving London and coming back to Cardiff. And I got in touch with the trust again then. I said, look, you know, I'm in Cardiff. I, I've got some time to do stuff. I'm, I know a lot of people in that series where I was brought up. Can I help you? Um, and I just, and they said, yes, we don't have anybody in Wales at the moment um, do, doing anything for the Septus Trust. There were, there were bedroom charities set up in Sutton Coalfield in Birmingham, um, out of the, uh, the, the Good Hope Hospital originally by Dr. Ron Daniel. So very small. I refer to it as a bedroom charity because it literally was like that. Um, so I, I, I said, okay, I can get in touch with, um, you know, on a practical sense for the charity, I can get in touch with NHS Wales, et cetera, and government and all these, these sort of things. But also, you know, uh, can I do some fundraising for you as well? So I started off really as, as somebody who was rattling a few tins and doing a few family fun days in my local community because I think, you know, 
it's always best to start local. Start start with who you know and what you know and where you know, because um, there's always going to be a level of support there. So I was really keen to raise awareness in my community amongst my friends and family. But more broadly, you know, if I was going to make a real difference. Um, I had to get it on the radar in Wales of um, NHS Wales, Public Health Wales and, and, and local government. So that's what I started to do. But I was literally at that point voluntarily and for a good few years afterwards, um, selling and peddling pin badges and having pub quizzes, um, you know, quiz and curry nights, family fun days, you know, risk wristbands and all those things you see associated with charities and that's what i was doing at the, at the same time as trying to you know bang this more this drum with with government and healthcare as well so it was quite an introduction i, I had no experience having worked with charities before um, i'd always worked in a very pragmatic way um, because in a very structured way um but this was very different and it was it really was a case of you know banging on lots of doors for different reasons. You know, that might be banging on a door to ask somebody for a raffle prize or banging on a door to speak to the health minister. And there was just a lot of door banging, um, which I became very good at. And um, you said that you had a banking background. Do you think your corporate background, your corporate hat, did that give you a different approach than maybe if you had a traditional charity sector career path? Um, it's, it's a very good question, actually. And um I, I think the, the way it did help me was because look, I was from Cardiff, from a little, little, little working class area, from an estate. So I, I knew the local people. But what I think what the corporate side um, equipped me for, in a way, was I'd been into big rooms before and I'd met people at high levels before. So I wasn't afraid of of going from, say, you know, the, the pub beer garden, you know, family fun day to speaking to a health minister or to a local councillor or to uh, you know, a member of the Welsh Assembly. I wasn't afraid of any of that. It wasn't as, it wasn't as if, I think that what was driving me also helps that. You know, you become a bit fearless anyway, but I I was never shy to go into those those environments because I had been in them before. So in, in that respect, that really helped me. And I you know I could articulate myself in those environments. I knew how to communicate with these people. I wasn't like I was starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and it's helped me a lot more latterly because as charities evolve and they grow, especially um, sort of post-pandemic, et cetera, um, you do need to, to, to fundraise in that corporate world as well. So I think... My experience of being a corporate helped me at the very start in terms of my my, my exposure to it, and it's uh, and I, I've kept that with me now. When I actually now back in those boardrooms, talking to people again, so full circle in a way. I love the word fearless. I think hold on to that, Terence. Don't let go of that because you can get through doors, get into conversations, push forward. It's brilliant to hear that. I'm, I'm all for that and not taking no and and having that brave feeling with you all the time. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and you do, and you, you and you have to learn very quickly and develop a thick skin very quickly. Um, working in this sector, especially if you're fundraising, people are going to say no, you know, and you can bruise quite easily at the start. But you know, you have to ride ride with that a bit uh, because every, I think everybody that gets involved in a cause, they do it because they think they can make it better, and they can do it in 24 hours. You know, that's that's that, that's what gets you in it in the first place. And then over time, actually, it's a bit more difficult than that. Uh, we, need to, you know, we need to have a bit more of a, bit more of a structured, balanced approach and maybe calm down a bit. But 
I think it's that's a really good lesson to learn. I would never say to anybody, don't go in you know, less than 100%, because otherwise you won't be able to do it. So always go in 100%, always think you can solve things straight away, and then work up the rest later. Oh, that is such good advice. I'm writing that down. That's such good advice. Anyone listening, take that on there. That's valid, a really valuable um, insight there from Terence. So 10 years on, we're, we're at the point with the charity. Let's talk about the charity for a moment. 10 years of UK Sepsis Trust. What is their big fundraising year like? What are their, What's their aims this year? What sort of what are they trying to really? What's the key message they're trying to get across well, to uh, the public? Yeah, but uh, what we have is is uh, we call it the, the, the power of ten. So we're trying to ramp everything up tenfold in a sense. So we want to educate sort of ten thousand healthcare professionals. We want to make make we have an initiative called Sepsis Savvy. We want to get ten thousand organisations signed up to be Sepsis Savvy, whether they be businesses, whether they be schools or community groups. But this whole kind of amplification uh, tenfold, everything we've been doing over over the uh, the last few years. So a lot of our fundraising events are evolving. I know, can you do 10,000 steps a day? Can you cycle 10,000 kilometers over as a group of people? Can you even do, even do you know, a, um, a crocheting session? All these, all these different types of things, but all about empowering people, empowering them up to um to to raise obviously funds as well but to really amplify the message around um around sepsis and being sepsis aware and sepsis savvy because we've come a very very long way in 10 years um and i think one of the things with coming a long way is that you get ambitious and greedy but in a good way you want because you know you can see the value and the benefit of what you're doing to help people but you think yeah, if we could be bigger and better and do more quicker we can help more people because we're not trying to make loads of money to be to be people who have loads of money. We're trying to help people at the end of the day. So the more people we can tell, the more people we can potentially save. So it's all about ramping everything up times 10. Mm, that pace and then the, the awareness you, you touch on. If people are listening here right now and they want to find out more about this um, this year, this year of awareness, um, perhaps they're a school, perhaps they're a, a corporation listening, an, a, a, an employer, where would you direct them to? Uh, so go to our website, sepsistrust.org. Um, all the information is on there. Um, we're all over social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, even TikTok now, I believe, and LinkedIn. All of the major platforms we're on. And look for UK Sepsis Trust if, if you need the information or support. And, and, and UK Sepsis Trust, Sepsis Savvy. Um, for information about how you can you can educate yourself and maybe your co-workers or family and friends so we have lots and lots of excellent free resources all downloadable um you know these, these are for health professionals for schools for businesses all on the website all accessible uh, and all free so I, was, I would encourage people to visit the website uh you know and look you know one of the things we do say about sepsis savvy is you sign up to save lives because you know what you learn that day will teach you to ask the questions, which unfortunately I, w- I wasn't able to ask about my brother because I didn't have the knowledge. But we want to put people in a position where they know the signs, know the symptoms, and can just ask of, of the right people, could this be sepsis? Yeah, we'll put all the details on the show notes as well, Terence, so the listeners can access them there. Now, 10 years for you, this is not the beginning of your fundraising activities, you said, for UK Sepsis Trust. You're like a prolific fundraiser for the charity. And just going flicking through your just giving accounts, of which you've got many, you've done, you've cycled, you've run, you've done a, you did a 2020 lockdown, which I thought was hilarious. 
and I'm not laughing at you. I'm just envisaging you doing your 26 hours of walking around your garden because that just seems so creative, but hard. And, you know, surely that caught caught the waves. It's such a clever thing to think about. So you're coming up with these creative fundraising ideas. Your plan this year, you as I speak to you right now, you're in the middle of the power of 10, your own personal challenge with your fiance Siobhan. Tell the listeners a little bit about where you are, what you've already done and what's left to do. Okay, so I, I, we came up with the idea, you know, I want to do something for Mark's 10th anniversary and something that they're tied in with the, with the charity's uh, no, 10th anniversary as well, which, which was a remarkable coincidence in a way. So we decided that we would just be, we just do 10 events over uh, over the period of, of, of a year. So we, we we started off with the rearranged Cardiff Half Marathon, which should have been in October of the previous year, which was cancelled because of the pandemic. And we did that as um, Batman and Batwoman. <laughs> and I've seen the was, pictures. I've seen the pictures. Yeah, they, they, they do exist. Is that, are, they, um, are they an outfit that you that you rented or you just happen well, to have? Or I'll, I'll have to own up and say I'm, I'm a huge Batman fan. And I, it wasn't my first time doing a kind of half marathon dressed as Batman. <laughs> but it was my first time doing it in March. And it was unseasonably hot uh, because the, the marathon is normally in October. Um, so it was a very, very difficult one to kick it off. Um, that was, so that was a Cardiff half marathon on the 27th <laughs> yeah. of March. I thought, oh no, oh no, what have we signed up for here? Um, but so we eased into it a bit there. We, we did a, just had a fun inflatable uh, run a couple of weeks later, but that involved the kids as well. But we've, we've become aware that, you know, we'd, we'd set out our targets as five and 10Ks. And we thought, actually, these aren't, going to be long enough to be challenging enough and to ask people to sponsor us for them so after another 10k around cardiff bay in, in, in may we, we ramped it up a bit so we did the ride london which is a 100 miles bike ride through uh essex uh that was number four another we follow that then with a quite a, a sedate 10k and that was number five and we did the port talbot uh, half marathon running through the trails in August, um, which it was very difficult. Again, it was very hot that day, very, very hot indeed that day. Um, so that's the six we've done so far. Wow. Are we, um, all, are we always dressed as Batman and Robin? Does the, does the outfit stay with you? Thankfully not, because I think I really would have struggled to get around <laughs> the, the, the Port Talbot uh, hills and mountains as, as Batman. But we will be bringing those costumes out again for, I think, our final um, uh event which is a, a, a halloween 10k in october but before that we've another half marathon a cycle for sepsis uh kind of half marathon again and the great south run so we've got to fit those in wow, before the, the fun, the fun I, finish and you've got a big uh, year coming up as well haven't you on a personal level i do so amidst all of that so um i got engaged to my fiance siobhan on christmas day uh, of last year and we're getting married on December the 3rd of, um, of this year and as, as, oh. as I alluded to earlier it's quite a uh, quite a strange story um, very much linked to Mark I didn't know Siobhan um, prior to moving back to Cardiff but she was a local councillor at the time of my brother's passing and my mum and dad wanted a memorial bench so I got in touch with my local councillor happened to be Siobhan um, and, and she sought out this bench for my my mum and dad for the, in the local park so they had somewhere to go and visit but you know, obviously they'll drive and couldn't reach cemeteries etc so so that's what she did for them and for the family and I wasn't even living in Cardiff at the time but when I moved back a bit later 
and I needed to, as I said previously, to get in touch with local people to raise this message. I went to my local councillor, um, and you know we, we have, our lives were very different then, but they've changed over time. And that local councillor was still Siobhan, who set up the bench for mum and dad, and that's how we met. So, oh, I know it is quite a quite a story. That's really. such one, a circle, isn't it? Yeah, it's not what I've really shared as in a public oh. forum like this before. But as we we're getting married, I thought, well, people are bound to ask you how they you are. Met. Um, well, that was, that was uh, how we initially met. So, yeah. Oh, that sounds wonderful. So, a, a lovely ending coming up to your year. We'll be back with more conversation right after this. Hi, you're listening to What Have I Done with me, Caroline Jones. And now back to the conversation. You sound like you've got a lot of training ahead of you. And am I right in saying that Siobhan will also be taking part in all of the activities with you? So you're like a partnership. Yeah, um, yeah, we're doing this together. Um, she's you know, a, brilliant, a brilliant partner you know, and she's a good motivator, motivate each other. I think, you know, it's like, again, it's, if you're doing um, is this kind of challenge, I think it does help to do it with somebody else. If you happen to live with that person, it probably helps a lot more <laughs> because you know you're doing things at the same time and you're eating the same stuff and you're getting up at, out of bed at the same time. Um, but no, it's good to have that um, that support. Uh, and it's not and it's not it's not the only way she provides it. Of course, she provides it in many ways. But yeah, we're doing this together. And um, and yeah, and we both so since it started, we've got much fitter, a fair bit lighter. I think my Batman suit might go around me a bit <laughs> easier now. Um, and yeah, and the main thing is though is we're really enjoying it. You know, it's like it's it's, it's something we can do um, together and something that we can share with other people. I, I think our you know, my our family is very proud to see us doing it, and it's just it's just a nice thing to be able to do together. And you know, when you think of the, and the reason why we're doing it as well, I think you know that's you know, another story in itself. Yeah, it sounds like a a really important focus for you for the year to you know to drive you through that year. But I, I whenever I talk to people who've done, who fundraise, there's always points of low periods, low moments. Um, matched with high moments so obviously the money coming in and um, press coverage and the impact it's having on the charity but those low periods in particular I wonder how you get through those whether you get through them with each other or you have your own way of yours is a physical challenge so how do you overcome those physical barriers those physical yeah barriers I suppose I think uh, one of the the main things I, I, I I try to do is um is always um, remind myself or try to remind myself you know, why I started all this in the first place, um, you know, and, and 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 who I'm doing it for. So it's not just you know, in my brother's memory or for the charity. It's it's for my family, for my friends, and it's not and it's not just for you no know, for Mark. He's 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 one of the forty eight thousand. So I think when you when when you feel like you're struggling and you know, and especially if you, when you, if you're sharing the personal stories of part of whatever you're doing, I think it's, it's I try to always remember that it's I, you're doing it for all of those people, all those family, because not everybody can 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 do. I mean, I'm, I'm doing this while I can. I mean, in ten years' time, I won't be able to do this. You know, I'll be too old. So, um, so I'm doing this while I can. So I think it, I, I'm trying to think. Well, you know, I'll do what I can while I can. So a perspective sometimes is, is is quite a hard thing to find. And if my brother probably hadn't died of something you know, quite as kind of niche and unknown as, as, as sepsis, I may not have been as motivated to try to drive that change. 
I mean, if he'd had a stroke or something, I mean, I, 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 I mean the stroke, you know, the charities are amazing. I wouldn't have felt such a personal need to to take this thing on because uh, it's already being taken on. So I think I, I think so. Ultimately, it's a very long answer to what is a quite simple question, but um, I still think this is fixable. And if me and Siobhan are dragging ourselves around a training running, our just ask um, vests or something. Somebody might spot that, or they might ask. So when we do go and do our training, so we often do it in, in the, the charity colours or the charity vest or the charity cycling vest. So we're not just seen on the day of the event; we're seen all the time, and we'll share that on social media. So I always think, you know, if if I think a lot of people will say the same. If only one person sees you doing that, it's worth it. So it's not all about you know, the, the 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 hero finish or the you know they're coming over the finish line at the Rydland, which is amazing with all the people there. It's it's every time you leave the house, really, yeah. and and it's uh it's it's not an easy place to get to. I appreciate that, but if you can get somewhere close to that, it can drive you on in those in those sort of lower moments where you re- are really lacking that little bit of energy. And because you have so many events coming up, do you, do you is there a danger that you wake up in the middle of the night thinking, oh my goodness me, I've got six that I've still got to do? Or, or are you the sort of person that goes, no, I won't think about that. We'll just, let's just get through tomorrow. How would, what advice do you give yourself? Uh, then it then keeps me awake mostly for my wedding at the moment. So it's, uh, <laughs> Should we edit that out? <laughs> no, 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 I, I, I think um, it, for me, it's just about, I think I, I've set myself a goal and I'm, and I want to finish it. Um, so, and that, that's that's my focus. I, you know, there are times where you don't want to get out of bed, especially you know, now the weather's going to change dramatically. I mean, it, it was summer yesterday morning and it was winter last night. So that, that's going to change things. It's going to make it more difficult. But I think having that overall goal, having having an end point, having a you know, a, a, a target uh, make, make, makes a huge difference. I wouldn't just get out of bed and run just to run. Um, I always make sure we set we, we set ourselves these things to run for or to cycle for, because I do need to, I'm not a brilliant self motivator unless I have a reason to do something. So fear is a great motivator. So what I say to Siobhan is, if we signed up, we've got to do it. <laughs> so if we signed up, the way it works is we sign up. Siobhan will share something on social media so everybody knows we're doing it, and then we have to do it. Because you know we can't not do it. I so, can so, I, so relate to that. Yeah, so, it's out so, there in ether. Yeah. Uh, so when people say oh my oh dear you signed up for something else the reason i sign up for it is to make sure i do it it's not to make you know, thousands of pounds every time it's to make sure that we do we just do it because we commit to it um and for for a charity for for a charitable purpose and and that's it so we we sign up we commit and therefore we were going to do it barring injury is there a little bit of competition between the two of you at home you know when you get home at night you know yeah actually there's a pb for me there um, it wasn't at the start, but Siobhan's getting really, really good at running. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm not, I've never been a brilliant long distance runner. So she's probably can beat me quite easily at running now. And so I guess the competition would be like, if we want a bike, I'd win. <laughs> if we want a bike, I'd win. <laughs> so that's what keeps me going. But I'm, but I can see her in the distance on the poor Talbot Half Marathon, skipping through the hill like a mountain goat. And I'm dragging me miles behind, sweating. I'm thinking, if this is a bike, I'd be your friend. So I don't know what. She might say about that, but um, I think healthy competition is, is, is exactly that, you know, yeah. and it motivates you to do better, you know. Yeah. So we've never been driven by times, but, you know, if Siobhan gets her half marathon time down under two hours, which is not that far off, that'd be an amazing achievement considering our first one was done 
albeit dressed as Batman and Batwoman, um, over three hours. Goodness so, me. So, yeah, there's lots of other things you, you can gain as well. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, the, 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 the improvement you've made, your personal improvements as well. Incredible that you're... And, and I love the idea of you just doing something together that, you, you know, do you run over the finishing line together? Do you finish together? How does that work? Yeah, yeah, we um we, we do try. I mean, um, but you know, I, I but if 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 Siobhan was on you know, one minute fifty nine, I'm ten minutes behind. I wouldn't want her to wait for me because I would want her to get that under under those two hours, whatever. But um, generally, we we start together and we make sure we finish together. Yeah. Um, yeah. You touched on Siobhan is the social media manager in your team. Am I right in saying? Uh, yeah, that'd be very how, <laughs> how important is social media? to everything you do for fundraising it's for us it's it's it is probably the most important thing you know it's a way we can uh connect with people reach people in all at once so if we're doing something straight onto twitter and facebook and we are reaching everybody immediately um you know and for broader things you might go onto linkedin for people we don't know quite so well um so we you, you know, Siobhan's very good at it so she'll target people we know through you know the, the, the more social friendly platforms like facebook but to go more broadly twitter linkedin etc so it's it's front and center of everything we do and if we've been successful at all we couldn't have been anything as successful without using using that because people the thing the beauty of social media is you can say you're doing it you can share it while you're doing it and then you can show people that you have done it (laughs) so and it's it's just such an easy way of doing it 30 years ago that would have been such a hard thing to do whereas now it's really straightforward you just need a phone and those people who are donating, your your audience, they're getting something back from you, aren't they? They're seeing what you're doing. Maybe they're seeing the uh, the training program, the highs yeah. and lows of everything. I know it, it, it sounds a bit sort of you know um, of a cliche, but it, it you can take people on the journey with you. So, for example, um, when we did the two point six challenge, that was all done over a period of twenty six hours in our own back garden. We couldn't go anywhere else, but we could share that as it was happening whether that was in the middle of the night or whatever. And we could say, you know, if if you set me a task, I'll do it throughout, I'll do it in an hour's time. And people were saying, do that. So I ended up, you know, saying, if, if we, somebody put on, on, on my social media comments, if if you reach X amount of money, Terence will shave his hair off. And and the money came in, so I didn't have any choice. <laughs> so, so, but, but this this was live, you know. This is like, well, all happened over the same period yeah. of time. So, in like the twentieth hour or twenty third hour of that of that um, experience, I think, okay, in three hours' time, I won't have any hair because it's coming <laughs> off at the end. Um, but no, and, and, and that's it's it's just such a fun thing to do. It was hard to do because obviously we go through right through the night and the four o'clock in the morning. Not any, there's nobody there really, but but. It was such a fun thing to do. And, you know, people were doing it with you, albeit from the comfort of their living room or whatever. Um, but it's just, yeah, that's the yeah. power. That of power of, of of interacting with your audience and they're getting something back, which, uh, you know, I see this with other fundraisers. That's that's the hook, isn't it? And that you did, did you shave your hair? I need to know. I, I did. And there'll be a photograph of that somewhere. But I, I did shave <laughs> my hair. And um, yeah, it, I, and, and actually just just uh, you know, just to uh, show who's in charge, it was Siobhan that did the shaving. Yay. It was lockdown. Nobody else could come and do <laughs> That's it. True. That's <laughs> so, true. So somebody <laughs> dropped some clippers at the back gate. Uh, we picked those up and uh, they were through my hair. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it was perfect, but it was off. Um, that, that was the intention. 
there was a lot of clippers sold that year. I remember there was a lot of home barbering going on in various different households, our own included. Funnily enough, one of my cousins got in touch because he's seen on social media somebody had pledged that I would shave my head if, if X amount of money was raised. And my cousin, ever, ever helpful, said, I've got some clippers, I'll drop them to your back door. So he'd seen that on social media. I dropped the clippers down before the money had even been raised. So it is. It was happening. Power of social media. All of this was happening during a lockdown when me and Siobhan couldn't leave our garden. Um, but we were reaching all these people without, without leaving this, this our house. And the simplicity of the Just Giving platform, did that help? Did, that, did you, the way that the money came in and the management of that, the donations? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've only ever used Just Giving. It's, it's just such a simple thing to do. It's easy to set up. You can, you, you can, you can, you know, share your story you can edit and update you can do all of these things but the main thing is it's such an easy way for people to donate um and again when you think back to years ago when you'd have you know i first did my challenges i had the handwritten sponsor forms you have to ask you have to go back you have to collect you know it's it's such a difficult thing to do in hindsight but this is so straightforward um and and with the gift aid thing as well you know it it, it works really well so it's it's a great platform it's the one that we me and siobhan always use as you know from if you search terence canning just giving quite a few will pop up they do pop up and i was (laughs) going to ask you how um how much have you raised to date terence if you add it all up have you got a rough figure including gift aid does it Does it pop out to the top of your head? It doesn't, yeah. but it's, it's tens of thousands of pounds. It's a, it's, a, a, it, it, you know, it's a, if you'd asked me how many miles I cycle, it would be thousands, but I couldn't give you a top, I couldn't give it to you. Um, and this would be, this would be uh, tens of thousands of pounds. Yes. Yeah, since we started in, 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 uh, in 2013, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably easily 50,000 pounds. Amazing. And the difference that's made to the charity yeah it's huge it's you know it's like all charities though especially awareness raising charities awareness and fundraising they're so they're so linked you can't do one without the other um and you know and the beauty of you of obviously being involved in front and center of it and working for the charities you get to meet the people um that you're helping which, which i really really like and it's a important part of the job plus you also get to encourage and inspire people to do their own stuff so i you know there are lots of people who come to the charity that are not, you know for reasons of their own that i've done bike rides with so you get that so i have they've raised money There's, so the total is bigger than what i'm saying um because they've done things as well so and that that group has grown and you know and, and it's it, it's it's an amazing thing to be to be a part of in a way because you know you really you really see um who you're helping and bridging the fact that you are an individual fundraiser with the hat of an employee of the charity, have you able are you able to share with the with the charity your learnings? Do they do they listen and welcome in everything you've learned about fundraising, social media knowledge, and you know have you been able to share all of that with the charity? Yeah, well, I would I would hope so from the early stages. I mean, as, as where we are now, it's going to be grown into a much more structured and a much more you know, um, uh, sustainable charity. But at the start, yeah, I think everybody was learning from each other. And, and, and what I was going and doing in communities and, and, and I was taking back into the, the trustee meetings, et cetera, saying, you know, we're doing this and it works. Can we do it bigger? Can we do it over there? Can we do it here? Um, or, or we're not doing this or people are asking for this. So when you're fundraising in communities, people tell you 
what they want or what you're doing right and what what you should be doing and, and you know and it, you have to listen to that and it's there is it the thing with, with fundraising for charities the thing i've never lost sight of from the when i used to work in like the corporate world it was the, the money you had it was all kind of, sort of paper money which you didn't really think about when you work for a charity you're always spending somebody else's money always and they, no matter what you spend, any penny you get is always somebody else's really. Uh, so it's always being mindful of that. So you know, make sure that, you know, you're spending in the right areas and the right things and, and asking people in the communities, you know, what, what, what would they want it to be spent on? Such a good point, actually. You know, as a donor, I think you want that transparency, you want to know where the money's going. And I think smaller charities, medium-sized smaller and smaller charities have the, have, I mean, I don't know what you think, but they have maybe the opportunity to be closer to their donor. They can they can pivot quicker, eat more easily, and use that to their advantage. Whereas some of yeah, the really yeah. big charities, it's a lot. It's they're very multi layered. It takes a lot of internal organisation. So I, I I do see these smaller charities yeah. having the opportunity to pivot when necessary. Yeah, I think um, I think the way people look at charity has changed a bit so i think you know the the, the, the we see a lot of stories in, in in the press about big charity i think a lot of media around charity and i and i think there's a bit of a sea change a few years ago where people wanted to support maybe some smaller charities um so if you're a smaller charity that's great um you know maybe not so much if you're um a, a huge charity but the smaller charities are never going to have the resources that compete with, with the big ones so we're not going to have a tv advert you know we're not going to have that we'd be very lucky to be even on a billboard or something you know in some places though know, we're not going to have that so i think the, the, the important thing is is that we, we have to think long and hard about how we spend the money to make sure we do it right um and i think you know when, when you again a small charity you can you can be close to the donors because the, you, there's less of them in a way um and and it's it's it's, it's a good way to work but it's the transition to the next level, I think, would be difficult. You know, uh, if you if you went from behind a a one million charity to a ten million charity, that would be quite a hard transition to make, um, because you would have to give up some of that to get that. But um, we're not in that position. So, I would say if you're a billboard company or a TV advertising company, Terence is your man. Please connect. You would like a TV advert, wouldn't you? And you'd I like a billboard. One. I would love a billboard or TV advert. Come on, say, people, you know, let's make this I happen. I mean, but, yeah, but I think one of the difficulties with charity, and you have to be as transparent as you can, and, and is is that, um, you know, it, it's not the church roof in a way. So you know, it's if you if, if you're fundraising for the church roof everybody knows and everybody sees it and everybody everybody gets it so sometimes i think you know when you can't say it does it something as explicit as that you have to be as transparent as you can be about what you are spending on involved people in that so so that they, they can so, they, so you, you can make sure that they know that what they're doing is worthwhile and you're going to use it well so some very very wise words there and i want to just wrap up if i can and talk about mark and what he would be thinking of everything you've achieved you know what would what would you think he'd be saying to you um well i, I hope he would he'd probably think you were never that fit when i when i knew you but um but uh, um well I, I like to think you know he'd, he'd um he'd be proud of what we're trying to achieve and proud of the way we've, we've tried to um keep his uh memory alive and um and i'm proud of the fact that we're doing something really as positive out of something negative that happened to him you know he was a lovely guy and you know he was a he was an absolute ray of sunshine and uh we, we're just trying to keep that going and, and and you know 
we don't want people to go through as families what we unfortunately have to go through because of what happened to Mark. So I think he would, um, he would, he would, if he was able to, or if he can see us now, I'm sure he would champion everything, everything we're doing. So, um, you know, we, we, we do it for him and with him. Oh, well, thank you so much, Terence, for your time today. I wish you lots of luck with your challenges. What's the what's the next challenge you're going to be doing? Just remind me. Oh, the next one. I, I have to Come just on. refer to my... It's uh, got to be a 10K half marathon type of thing. No, I wish it was a 10K. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, oh, it's a Cardiff... No, it's like off a sepsis at the end of September. It's going to be Cardiff to Tembe, 100 miles. Uh, that's 25th of September. We're in September, Terence. We're in September. <laughs> so that's that, yeah, that's twenty fifth of September, followed by the Cardiff Half Marathon on the second of October. So it's a couple of weeks off, and uh, in, in the in the meantime, but I have a stag due to attend. On I was going to say, <laughs> on the spreadsheet, is your wedding date on there? The wedding date's on there, and the stag due is on there, and the hen. Good. Good. They're all in there. So. Oh, well, listen, thank you so much for your time. I have really enjoyed speaking to you. There's so much there to listen to. If you're a charity, if you're an individual with a creative idea, Sepsis, UK Sepsis Trust is a fantastic charity to be supporting. All the links are on the show notes. Terence, thank you so much for your time today. And I will be watching with interest. And I really hope I get to see the Batman and Robin outfit resurrecting. Oh sometime soon October the 30th I think thank you so much for coming on to what have I done brilliant thank you thank you for having me it's been a pleasure what have I done is a just voices production and is sponsored by just giving edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at audio egg and presented by me Caroline Jones